This is Father Bonaventure Chapman. And this is Father Jacob Bertrand Jancic. Welcome to Godsplaining. Thanks to all those who support us. If you enjoy the show, please consider making a monthly donation on Patreon. Be sure to like and subscribe to Godsplaining wherever you listen to your podcasts. This episode is the third part of a series that we have during Lent here. We've been talking. Um, this is Father Jacob Burton joining me. And we're doing, let's see, part three. The first part was on truth. The second one was on revelation. And this one is going to be on God. But if, Father Jacob Burton, do you have anything to say about truth and revelation before we get to God? Mm, revelation's true. Uh, wow united them at once i think we're gonna have to add it so now on at the end of it we have the six, it's a six-part series if you can yeah. say one sentence that includes all of them and it's not just repeating like yeah. this is what we said okay yeah that's a good idea yeah well i think you know last last year we did for lent we've been doing these series so back to something you know because god's planning live explaining mm, guest explaining you know we're, we're kind of on like that word kind of thing so we did back to virtue last year on the virtues back to basics the lent before on basic christian Catholic practices now are like back to belief. So walking through um, sort of basic tenets of the faith in some ways, it loosely following the structure of the creed um, or like the way an RCA class would run. So yeah, as Father Boniface said, revelation that God, God reveals himself. What is the content of revelation for Catholics? Scripture and tradition contain, you know, the content of revelation of, of what it is that God wants us to know about him. And, and then truth, well, truth, I mean, you could say a lot about truth. Um, are mm -hmm. we talking about the content of revelation, how we know what truth is, probably all of these things, Christ, the way, the truth and the life, you know, so that God reveals, but also that there are objective truths. I think that's, that's kind of a, whew, I don't know, that's a tough thing in today's culture. But as we move yeah. towards, you know, more specific towards now today, this week, talking about God, then Christ, and then looking ahead, right, we're going to cover the church, the bride of Christ and the sacraments, the, the means by which Christ's life is mediated to us. So kind of hit those major yeah. things to situate the, the faith. And if we give a, so I think of it, if we think of like a form and content, you could say the truth is like the form of, of belief or knowing, um, it, because you could say there's also like guessing and opining and, it, and lack of certitude and all this, but truth has a particular kind of shape to it. And then in a sense, the rest of it, or at least uh, from revelation is a content. And then we're unpacking in a sense, the content in more specific ways of so God and Christ. Of course, God is not just revealed, but also uh, as we'll, as we'll talk about um, matter we can know, but also like it because we start out in a sense, you start out in the subject with truth. Of course, truth is, is who God is as well, but truth as we know it of a way of grasping truth, grasping not real things, grasping reality and being certain about them. Uh, and then we move to the kind of more uh, speculative things, you could say. And then we're going to end with the sacraments, which is, in a sense, truth grasping us. So we start out with how we grasp true things. And then we have true things, the sacraments, in a sense, grasping us at the end. So it's kind of a, a nice, nice shape. I don't know. Just made it up. Uh, yeah, but that's great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So pay me the big bucks for something. But today is a topic that is infinite. And I, most people say that, but they don't really mean infinite. They could just talk for a while. But this is infinite because the topic is God, and God is infinite. So I hope that you just set your podcasting lives, whatever, 
because we're just going to talk for an infinite amount of time because there's an in there are an infinite things to say the limitation is only due to our fallibility such that father jacob bridge and i at some point will starve to death as we keep talking and not leaving our cameras unless you have things in reach who knows but we're gonna so let's let's be honest we're gonna miss some of your favorite topics about god there's just a lot to say about god so that's just set your expectations realistically but what I want to talk about today with, with uh, Father Jacob Bertrand is just this whole God thing. Who is God? And what is there a God? We'll start there. Who is God? What is God? All this kind of stuff. Just give you some highlights, we could say, from a Dominican to mystic kind of perspective and, and others. But I want to start off with a, a, something that always caught my eye. Charles Taylor. I don't know if you, you're familiar with him. You probably are because you're a smart man. Um, he won the Templeton Prize back in 2011, I think, with a book called A Secular Age. Uh, and then James K. Smith wrote a shorter book called it How Not to Be Secular or something. And that's what everyone reads instead of the book, because the book's like 700 pages. But in that point, Taylor says that, he says, we think of secularization as one thing is like a secular thesis would be that no one believes in God anymore cognitively. Another way of thinking about us being secular today is that no one practices the faith. But he says, I want to try another, a third definition, which is that to be secular means that it is extremely hard to believe in God, such that in the sacred time, believing God was almost impossible. There were a few atheists in the 1200s and such, in the 800s, but the conditions of the society were such that the default position was, of course, there's a God. But he says in a secular age, in a sense, the default position is maybe, maybe not. That it's, in a sense, there are other alternatives. That belief in God is just one human possibility as others. And that's a radical shift. And I always, I always, I like that because it does seem to be the case that it's weird today that like belief in God is something up for debate, up for grabs. Like, and I think at the end of this episode, you'll see why that is. But how do you, what do you think about that secularization kind of does that does that ring true to your experience with all your vocations candidates um sure yeah i think so i think i don't know if with vocation candidates it's it's a sort of helpful um i don't know like population of people because most vocation candidates believe in god <laughs> so it's a little oh but certainly at, you know with with culture at, at large um you can see the when the sort of like what I don't know, kind of bumpers are taken off. There are a lot more uh, things go a lot more astray or become, mm -hmm. um, yeah, a lot more difficult. It, it, we see this perhaps in ways of like even those who want to live the faith, it has become a lot more difficult to live the faith. Never mind a sort of like orientation of culture um, towards God um, that that helps guide people by and large to belief in God. You know, so once once that's gone, it becomes much harder to to pursue him to believe you know all of those sort of things to live a life of goodness of virtue all of that so mm -hmm. yeah and i guess you there could be a good part to this as well in that um before when everyone kind of believed in god then you you kind of just mouth the words you could say and you had to in a sense whereas now um when you hear someone that talks about god they actually mean it or you have a sense that they mean it they're likely to have, to mean it because there's there's a good reason that they shouldn't say it because most people don't believe or it's harder to believe okay so but we believe in god so like the vocations candidates if you want to apply to dominicans you ought to believe in god uh, i think it's a requirement i suspect it is um yeah mm -hmm. and we do 
Um, I, I, my values. Yeah. My life, our life doesn't make a whole lot of sense if you don't believe in God. Um, so the question is, well, why, why believe in God? You know, why believe in God? Um, so Father Jacob Burton, like, why believe in God? What do you think? Yeah. I mean, that's, that perhaps is the million dollar question. I think that, mm. uh, maybe, I don't know. There may be a lot of million dollar questions. Um, but the, it, I think it's a question that is perhaps more at the heart of people's, um, sort of, I guess, wrestling with faith than a question of like, does God exist? I do think that, mm -hmm. and at least, you know, like whatever pew polls and other polls and yeah. et cetera, et cetera, it still show that there's still a good amount of Americans, at least, that believe that there is such thing as a God. But then when you get down to like the practice of faith, who is God? What is God? How does that shape your life? That's where it gets, I mean, that's where kind of belief, faith, belief in God really kind of tanks, right? So um, the question of, of like why believe in God um, is, is one I think that's more important than like, do I believe that God exists, at least for like the mm -hmm. sake of this argument. Um, so to answer it, why believe in God? Well, I think there are a whole host of reasons. Um, I think that, uh, but, but I, perhaps the most important one is that um, there's a sort of what I would say a kind of um, way by which if we look at if we look at the way by which human beings are made, there's we can we can make the argument of it. I don't know if you would count this as a sort of ontological argument, but at least a human ontological argument that um, there is a desire for um, for a sort of infinite um, what the, for the infinite, you know, and whatever we kind of mm -hmm. look for, whether that's in love and relationships and and things, the, the happiness, fulfillment, we desire something for which. Um, you know, really earthly created things don't, don't satisfy, don't sustain. And this, this is not the most profound argument for why I believe in God, but I mm -hmm. think there's a way that we can, we can sort of appeal to a common humanity, that there's this desire that we all have to be, um, to love more, to be loved more, to, to, to be whatever, appreciated more, seen more, whatever. Um, but if, if we kind of look at what, what the world offers, it doesn't offer much by way of satisfaction there. There has to be, you know, or there should be, we want there to be something else. So I think that at least begins to prick uh, sort of the heart of, of a person, mm -hmm. of a person to look at like, well, why should I believe in God? And, and that, I don't want that to be, mm -hmm. I don't want that to sound as sort of like, uh, sometimes often religion has the sort of criticism of being like a, a comfort blanket. Like it, they're just stories to make you feel better because the world is like, a terrible place. So, but that's not, yeah. that's a, that's not what I'm saying. Um, it's not just to make you feel like you could be fooled, but a sort of question of like, well, what am I made for? You know, what, mm -hmm. why do I exist? These sort of big existential questions, I think yeah. in ways naturally begin to, to at least ask the questions of, well, why believe in God? Who is God? These sort of things. Well, and that's, I, I really like that distinction that you made there about the difference between the question, uh, why believe in God in the sense of a desire versus why believe in God in the sense of um, reasons for belief in God? You could say like a logical deduction as opposed to a, a practical conclusion. Um, because I think it, the the practical as, practical aspect of it, the desire question, the why why believe in God not from logical reasons but from something else, is existential. You could say, I guess, an existential mm. argument yeah. is the one that fits in some ways it gets us out of bed and it gets us moving. Now, you might say, well, that's not a dem demonstration. And of course we say, hands up in the air, of course it's not a demonstration. You might have logical reasons for believing that there is a God, but th that might be different for why you, like why you care, you know? Like right. I might, 
there are plenty of facts out there, but who cares? You know, like there are facts about how many hairs are on Father Jacob Burton's head right now. But I have no reason to know. Th I don't care. Right. Why do I know how many? I don't care that there are a number of hairs, whatever that number is. I don't know. 17. Um, probably more than 17 unless they're swirling around a bit. But why in the sense of like what what's motivating me, you could say. Um, and that that's different. So if you if God exists, then these kind of motivating arguments go through. And you might say, well, then why? Okay, well, what's the reasons for existence? And that's where you'd want to do like the proof kind of stuff if you if you want to. Now, I think most of us actually probably don't believe based on any given proof, but kind of a combination of these things we're talking about, you could say. But of course, there are standard ones. Um, the ontological arguments, Father Jacob Bertrand talked about a human ontological, probably an existential one. The ontological argument um, just says, the concept of God is such that if there is a concept of God, then he also exists. Uh, then there's the five ways from St. Thomas, of course, which are more or less kind of, if there's a cause, there must be a causer, or otherwise there's an infinite regress, but there's, we can see cause, we can see things like effects, therefore there must be a first cause, unmoved, blah, 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 and you get these things. And then there's the moral arguments, you could say. Um, this is a more Kantian argument, C.S. Lewis uses it, um, that uh, a law must have a lawgiver, and it sure seems that the only way to describe morality is as according to some sort of law, like you ought to do something as opposed to like an is, you know, like a statistical thing. This normally happens, but that this ought to happen. There's a law, therefore, there's an obligation to do that. There can only be an obligation if there's a lawgiver. Therefore, well, there there's no moral law without a moral lawgiver. The only lawgiver that could be universal moral lawgiver would be a god. This sort of thing. Right. Yeah, now, and it's, it's what do you important. think about those? Yeah, it's, I think that all of that is great, good. I mean, obviously, uh, right? The I think, as you said, there's a. It's often a combination of things, um, and I think that's right to point out that um, we certainly don't. We haven't mentioned like the gift of faith um, that those mm -hmm. that to believe is a gift and. Um, that were given the virtue of faith in the sacraments, et cetera. Um, I think part of perhaps it's important to mention uh, that what kind of underpins the Dominican mind here is certainly not that faith is certainly not that faith is not an infused virtue. I don't know if the negatives there cancel out. We believe that faith is an infused virtue and you believe mm -hmm. we believe in God through the virtue of yeah. faith. But we also believe that we can come at least to know that there is a that there is something that is God with the use of, or that there is some, um, yeah, first cause or first mover uh -huh. as father Bonaventure was saying through reason. Now that doesn't mean that we, that we reason to the things of revelation. You know, this is why revelation and truth are important factors here because yeah. God wants us to know him, but that there is some first mover, some divine first eternal being, um, we can come to know that, or at least through these logical arguments come to, come to that conclusion. Um, even the pagans in ways, even Aristotle loosely kind of does that himself, not with faith, of course, but um, in his own sort of metaphysical framework. So I think as Dominicans, you can correct me if I'm wrong here, Father Bonaventure, but we we have a confident, like a twofold confidence. Um, mm -hmm. It's not a fideistic sort of thing where it's, you know, it's just, it's just faith that is a sort of like um, kind of not against our, not anti-humanity, not, you know, but yeah. not against our nature. It's certainly working with, but also that our nature, that our ability to know 
um, to, to use our reason also helps us to begin to at least begin to think about like, oh, okay, why believe in God? Why is this rational? Is it rational? These kind of things. So for us, it's a both end. I think we take confidence in sort of the human be a human person's orientation yeah. to that reality. Yeah, I think uh, orientation. Um, I think you're going to love this analogy. I think you, you, it's, it's definitely right from what you just said, that if we think of unbelief as like, you know, one of those punching bags, think of like us having both a jab and a haymaker. And you could say the jabbing is natural reason's ability to kind of grasp God. And the haymaker is faith and the supernatural, you know, aspects such that you can know not only that God's Trinity through faith, but also that he exists by the gift of faith, but you can, so that's the haymaker. You get, you get, mm. th you know, three, per three persons, one, one God kind of thing. Whereas natural reason, the jab might not knock. It's not going to get you the, it's not going to get you the Trinity, but it's going to get you a, a divine being sort of thing. So jab and haymaker, yeah. so okay. double fisting action, just punching in the face, you know, unbelief. That's what we're talking about. Unbelief in the face with a jab and a haymaker. Death's Dominican life. Perfect. Okay. Um, so we talked about uh, why, you know, why believe in God, both like as some ideas and some reasons sort of things. But we just, as you can see, we're just flying through this. Let's talk about the, because we've, in some ways, someone might be screaming at the, at their, their car dashboard right now and saying, well, but how can you prove that how can you talk about what that he is or why without knowing what he is? And this is where I think Dominicans, particularly in Thomas's account, is so neat because Thomas's God is so weird. If anyone's read and really digested what Thomas is up to with the divinity, you get this. Oh, man, it is so weird. But he is so cool, too, because what Thomas does, I think he's, he really works hard on this, is to strip away all the kind of accretions that we give to God um, that aren't actually what God is, but rather just our projections on him. So that we're left with an actual, the actual account of what he is. So we're not just saying, well, we think God's kind of like this, like a simile or, you know, God's like this, but no, no, we can give real robust, robust reasons. And his God is really, really cool. So um, Thomas has an account of what God is, and he starts that out with really a biblical way. He says, God reveals himself as, he reveals himself to Moses, and he's, when he says, I am what I am. I am what I am. And some people call this the metaphysics of Exodus, because it means that God is not a being for Thomas, but God is being. And people think, well, that's so weird, right? It's not that weird, because if God was a being, I have a, a, a you know an article in front of it, indefinite article, that means that he would be something that's limited. He would be like in a group of things, but he is being itself, and therefore all things depend on him. So he's not like a being. I think we think of God as like a super angel sometimes, like a, he's a non-material being that's super powerful. But that's what angels are, and God is the, above that. So it's a first off, that, that's a weird conception of God in a sense that He's not a being. I mean, He is. He's He's a being. He's being itself, but of course, as three persons. But just from reason, we get a sense of Him being just be is the cause of being and being itself. It would Thomas calls ipse esse per se subsistent subsistent being. But I mean, what do you make of that, Father Jacob Bertrand? Does this does that make any sense? What do you, what do you, well, what, put it this way. What do you love about Thomas's account of God? 
that just like blows your mind. Well, the fact that it blows my mind, uh, perhaps I so think little we, does. That's right. Yeah, I have yeah. such a such a firm grasp on all other things that this is yeah. one of the, one of the few that blows my mind. Um, I remember I don't I don't remember if we were in the same Trinity class, but here at those studies when we study the Trinity, uh, when we take our course in the Trinity, it's kind of broken into two parts following St. Thomas's Summa. The first part is called De Deo Uno of the one God and De Deo Trino is the second part of the triune God. Um, so we do God is one, God is Trinity. And in that class, I remember one of the friars saying, you know, something like you're going to walk away with far more questions uh, mm -hmm. than you do answers because as you begin to, because as St. Thomas says, you know, we can say much more specifically what God is not, and then make a positive statement of that. Yeah. So that, you know, God is not many things. So we could say God is one, but what does that mean for God to be one and three? You know, we walk away with mm -hmm. so many more questions about it, but we can say with, with confidence because, you know, our Lord also reveals that God is one, there is one God. Um, so what, what do I, what do I find, um, attractive or helpful about St. Thomas's sort of explanation of who God is, is that he, yeah, he, in, in some ways, this is perhaps what St. Thomas fought, where he becomes, uh, where you can become critical of St. Thomas for being too scholastic in ways God becomes more remote than he does a, a personal mm. God through Thomas's dissection of, of what he is. But that's precisely what Thomas is doing. He's trying to take, take the pieces so that we can understand them so we can understand God as a whole. And in that, um, yeah, I find that to be super helpful. And and knowing, you know, the sort of divine realities of God, we could say, right, that God is yeah. one, that God is eternal, that God is omnipotent, he's all he's all powerful, that he's omniscient, he's all knowing, you know, okay, so we can break those down and then begin to understand, well, what does that mean, at least mm -hmm. how we can approach it? Okay, so we might not have the fullness of how that is with God, but we can begin to appreciate the reality of that. The other thing that I that I think is helpful is then when we talk about the Trinity, we'll have an episode on Christ next week. We've talked about Christ obviously a lot on the podcast, the Holy Spirit um, as well. We can we can begin to understand in ways how how these attributes, these divine attributes, also belong to not just God the Father, but the persons of the Trinity. Mm -hmm. And then when we want to talk about things on a personal level, particularly through the incarnation or the sending of the Holy Spirit. We can begin now to see even more one how incredible and 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 wild and beautiful it is that God descends or condescends to share mm -hmm. His life with us. This God who is perfectly one, perfectly immutable, perfectly eternal, perfectly knowledgeable, perfectly omnipotent, still decides to share His life with us. You know, so as you kind of go down yeah. this exodus from God to us, um, you can begin to see how okay the, here the pieces come together because I'm coming to know who who God is a bit, and I think Thomas's breakdown of that allows you to put the pieces together as you yeah. think about these things. Yeah, and I think you're 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 dead on again about um, it can't just be for knowledge. Now, knowledge for knowledge's sake is fine, but that God reveals Himself and the truths about God have an effect, and you could say I don't want to say cash value because that sounds too utilitarian or something. But they mean something. They mean something because God means something. And so that the, these truths about God, when so Thomas says, we talked about this, that God is just, he is, he is being, he's activity, he's pure act, you could say. Um, we don't just make that statement as far as, Thomas just doesn't make that statement just a truth claim, but it actually has consequences that follow from it that are, I think, actually beautiful and profoundly important for, for daily life. Because you might think, oh, it's just disputations and scholastic stuff. And 
Dominicans are just collecting, you know, baseball cards of knowledge. But no, it's it's actually like it's actually about living life well and understanding the world around you by knowing God better. So, for instance, for me, um, the fact that God is who He is, as Thomas says He is, as pure act, as as not a being amongst beings, but but being, but being actus sendi, means that He's not in competition with anything. Like it's not like so if between for if there's one donut, like Father Jacob of Bert and I, we can only one of us can have the whole donut itself because we're finite beings, this sort of thing. We compete. If I'm doing something, he can't be doing something the same thing at the same time, right? In the same way, we compete because we take up space and all this. But for Thomas's account, since God isn't one one amongst the other causes, but actually is the cause of causes, well, then there's no competition between my action and his action. It's not like God does some stuff and then I do some stuff, but rather that God does stuff by himself or with us so that our, for instance, our virtue, our growth in the divine life is not something that he just does by himself and we just get zapped up as pure passive agents, but rather he's acting and we're growing in acting more. We're trying to become more actual, like him. But there's no competition between those. And that has great rel relevance, too, about the science and faith stuff. Such so people always say, oh, you know, God can't do this because evolution does this, or God can't do this because quasars do this, or God can't do this because the quarks do this. God isn't in competition with any finite thing. So Thomas's account of God as, as this act to this pure act, means that God isn't in competition with you, nor the universe, uh, except in the moral sense, you could say, of sin, like with the free will, with free will I can reject him. But even that freedom is within his activity. That's a beautiful account of it. So one, he's not transcendent in that sense, but he's not, he's not in competition at all, you know, with them. The second thing, before we turn it over, is that, and Father Jacob Bertrand talked about the transcendence, is that this actually gives you an incredible intimacy. Thomas has this beautiful comment about how God is present. Um, is God present to us? And you might think because God is beyond the world in the sense of he's not a finite competitor with it, but rather the creator of it, that this sets off like a deistic conception. He's just not even near you, right? He's just totally different. But Thomas says, no, because he's not in competition, because he is the source of being, the cause of being, he's actually present because he's transcendent to all things he can be therefore present in all things because he sustains being itself he can be present intimately with every single aspect of being and guess what that is everything so not just like pushing stuff but inside he's like working with you he's dwelling in you because anything that has being he's touching so thomas talks about this he touches it He's, and he talks about being most, he is most intimately present, intime, uh, present with things. So that the notion of God as Thomas has it, which initially seems weird, actually allows you to have a God who you can never run away from. You can turn, well, you can like decide not to see him, but you're never far from him. He's always right there. And I think that is mind-blowingly, not only profound, but spiritually enriching and incre incredibly encouraging. Yeah, the I think we, we sometimes talk about... Um... God as being, um, or we have on this episode too, that, that God, um, doesn't need us. You know, he doesn't, as you were saying, he doesn't respond 
to mm-hmm. us. He, he's not made more perfect because we exist or because we do good or because we pursue him. And also he's, he's not made less perfect when we sin. You know, we don't, we talk about sinning or like failures in the moral life as like, or maybe we think about them as like, they mm-hmm. hurt God. God yeah. gets upset by that. But like, in he doesn't, he, you know, that he, he doesn't change. Um, yes. He doesn't, he doesn't become less God by our sin or that sort of thing. Um, the, and, and that's not a sort of, um, that's not a kind of like, oh, God doesn't care. He can't empathize, you know, those sort of things. But it's, it's in fact, just the opposite that because he is pure act, because he is always acting as Father Bonaventure says, um, or said there, there is like, uh, all the more ability for us to rely upon God and his mercy and his goodness. Um, and the fact that he wants to reveal himself and share his life with us um that that i there was i once heard a homily by um a dominican friar uh one of our peers and he he you know we can talk about the divine attributes or the divine names of god or what we call him or his characteristics and this one isn't one that saint thomas uses but i like a lot and think about a lot that that god is sort of divine stability um, mm-hmm. That in sort of the chaos of the world, we often like to put something else there around which you maybe it's ourselves or whatever idol that like the chaos of the world kind of like flows in and out and it's like a mess. But really, it's it's God who is like this divine stability um, who's always acting and but he's always he's always there, you know, mm-hmm. in present to us, present through the sacraments, present to, to creation by simply having created and holding it in existence. And there's this radical intimacy with with the. Um, with his creation uh, at the same time. And this is where like, okay, mine mm-hmm. starts going crazy. At the same time, there's this also radical transcendence of God, you yeah. know, that the rather radical otherness. Um, so as you know, you were talking about earlier with Moses and the burning bush. And when, when God begins to reveal himself in that way, it's the, you can, you can begin to understand why Moses and the, the, the sort of, um, you know, uh, prophets and and the people of the old testament in particular and then in the new testament in its own way god becomes more approachable through the incarnation but are kind of like what is going on here you know they they don't they don't know how to react they don't know how to do all of you know so it begins to make sense when we kind of look at the picture as a whole that way was and and uh i mean so father jacob bertrand's citing one of his favorite um theologians nicholas vacuza as 14th century um uh, theologian who thought talked about god as the coincidence of opposites and thought this really important that transcendence and imminence uh, that ha- they come together even though they're opposites for our under our conception of it they co- coincide with god because of course he's not a finite agent so that's just i know the, you're a kuzian and so it's it's great mm. um that's that's a good mm-hmm. tradition okay and the second thing i thought um that that stability uh, there's a, a saint Teresa of avila's prayer or something there's a beautiful little chant um i remember hearing this when i was when i was before i was catholic um, it's based on her prayer, and it says something like, "When all things fade away, God is unchanging." And it has it's beautiful about this, this safety in the heart and re- resting on God's stability. But when all things mm-hmm. fade away, God is unchanging. That anything else can fall away, but He's never going to fall away. And that's a message, of course. The Old Testament talks; you know, he, reve- he reveals himself in this way too. But Thomas, I think, gives us, and the Catholic tradition, Cusiano, and all that, um, gives us the tradition, uh, the the sense of giving some flesh to that philosophically and and intellectually and that's not to exhaust the mystery we haven't even talked really about the trinity father jacob bertrand did a little bit but there's there's an infinite amount of time 
an infinite, infinite amount of things to say. And of course, of course, we don't have an infinite amount of time because we've come to our, our end here. So I hope that you've had a chance to think about this. The, the, just, just touch the surface here. God, of course, is an infinite, infinite being um, and it's an infinite subject. And so it's rich, but it's not for just knowledge's sake. It's not just for that. It's for love. Knowledge is for love. Because God is, is not just our cause, but he's also our end. He's also the, the place where we're going to, the place we're going to. As Father Jacob Bertrand started so wisely with that, that desire. We have this desire, and yet we find it unfulfilled in any of the finite things. So it turns out it's an infinite desire, it seems to be, and therefore that's fulfilled by God. And the other, you could see these other upcoming ones, which I hope you'll listen to, uh, Back to Belief, is kind of fleshing out how that desire is worked out by God's coming to us through Christ, the church, and the sacraments back to us. Um, but uh, I'll, I'll just round up the episode, and we'll say that we want to thanks to all our supporters. If you'd like to offer any support, financially or otherwise, to our work, check us out at patreon.com forward slash Godsplaining. Uh, follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, uh, like, subscribe, leave a five-star review, etc. Whatever you do, fist pump, uh, haymakers, and jabs. Visit godsplainings.org to shop our merch, uh, which I think we're going to get some updated stuff because you've seen probably a new logo. Just like God is unchanging, but we are always changing, it seems. We're an act, so we're kind of like him, but not like him. Um, and there'll be new stuff there, I suppose. Hopefully, um, I'm just going to put a plug out there for a, a coffee mug, stone coffee mug that has two handles on it. So you can like meditate as you drink from a Godsplaining mug. That'd be great. Uh, go on that website, godsplaining.org, to get dates and information for upcoming Godsplaining events, especially the retreats uh, in the summer. We'll have uh, three of those. You can sign up for different things. There's going to be the Camino um, as well. Well, that's already finished, but you can follow along with that. And of course, um, support us with your prayers uh, as we pray for you. So thanks for tuning to Godsplaining and catch us next time on Back to Belief with Christ. Until then, we'll be praying for you. Please pray for us.